not sure which way to turn. I need one of these little things that just sort of slowly rotates me around. If you guys could work on that, it'd be great. Just kidding. Uh, good morning. What a beautiful day already. Hi. So many beautiful aspects of family today. That's one of the reasons I love Church in the Round. I know there's mixed feelings out there of Church in the Round. Some of you love it. Some of you don't love it, and that's okay. That's okay. It's good to sometimes be a little uncomfortable and have things that are a little different. It causes us to push some different buttons and, and to consider some different things. I just love the fact that we get to see one another worship. We get to be engaged a little, a little tighter. We say all the time as worship leaders that we want you to feel like this is our worship to the king. This is your, you know, you're part of the team, but when we're down here, you really do feel that way, don't you? You feel like you just want to, I kept wanting to come up and just play a note with Daniel up here on the bass, you know. You're part of the team, but I'm excited about this month as we stay in the round and we do worship this way and we sing these beautiful songs of Christmas. Uh, I will rotate around in a little bit, you guys. I'm sorry for this view that you have. Uh, what an amazing morning. You know, um, a little over five years ago, God brought my family to uh, Temple Baptist Church. It was probably maybe the most fragile moment of the church's history, honestly. Uh, Pastor Jerry had done an amazing job of leading a remnant of people to pray and seek the Lord. And I want you to know when he brought Lori and I over here, he wasn't bringing people who knew what they were doing. <laughs> he wasn't bringing people who felt confident that we could make any difference whatsoever. But I will tell you, we followed the Lord. He was working already. He wanted to continue to preserve a gospel presence in this community. And I'm just so thankful for Pastor Jerry and Miss Sue, uh, for, the, for the remnant that is still with us. Thank you. Um, but it's all been God, right? Even today we celebrate new partners and we celebrate six baptisms. We celebrate what God's doing in our city groups and all around our campus and all around our body. And yet, we're just getting started. That's the reality. We're just getting going. We hope that you feel like you're a part of what God is doing in our family. You know, this, this writer, Max Dupree, said one time, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The first responsibility is to define re reality. And so for, I think for five years, that's what I've been trying to do. Let's get a, a realistic look of where we are as a church. Let's take a realistic look at where the church, where God's church, the biblical church, needs to be. And even today, I want to continue to define reality for you. Uh, you know, when we first came and as we've been doing ministry, we had to begin to truly focus on embracing, uh, worshiping Jesus over worrying about the future. We had, to, we had to shift focus. We had to learn to love all people, to serve all people, and pray that God would make us a church with more diversity. Continue to pray that way with me, would you? Praise God, he has made us a, a diverse congregation, but I want to see more. I want to see what God wants to do through the nations, even right here among us in Little Rock. We had to seek to become more obedient to the Great Commission than to traditions or status quo. God, we're going to be obedient to the Great Commission over our traditions, because traditions will hold you captive and keep you from the mission of God. We had to learn to be in authentic relationships in community over acquaintances of church membership. At least that's what my perspective has been over the years as I went to church. I kind of knew people, but I didn't fully know people. 
I didn't go as deep in life and walk life with people, and that's something we're trying to embrace. And I would say even this morning, we're working really hard to help us define the reality of what discipleship is. What is a disciple of Jesus? What is that supposed to look like? What, what do we do? What are the values of our lives as a disciple of Jesus? I think he, he didn't call us to a building. He didn't call us to an event. He called us to a life of discipleship. What does that mean? Well, as we get there this morning, I want to talk to you first about the state of, of discipleship in the American church. Okay? Again, the first responsibility of a leader is to, uh, to give reality. Where, where are we? What are we looking at? You know, I think many people in the American church equate discipleship with attendance. Right? And so we say phrases like this, well, do they go to church? Or, or, or if we're frustrated with somebody and wish they were living for the Lord as a disciple, we say, well, they don't go to church. You know what I mean? It's part of our vernacular based around attendance to an event. But that's, my friends, not necessarily a disciple. I've said this before, I think it's funny. Attending a church service, this one or any other one, no more makes you a disciple than, than standing in your garage makes you a car. Right? I love that quote. It's a quote from an early evangelist. Just by being in a place doesn't immediately make you a disciple. George Orwell says this years and years ago, decades ago. We have now sunk to a depth at which the restatement of the obvious is the first duty of intelligent men. We'll say it again. We've now sunk to a depth at which the restatement of the obvious is the first duty of intelligent men. What needs to be obvious about the church of Jesus? What is the thing that should be obvious to us? What is a church? What is it made up of? Who are we to be as the church of Jesus? See, we know how to do church, but we know, do we know how to be the church? Do we know how to be disciples of Jesus? Do we know how to make disciples for Jesus? Because that, my friends, is what the church is to be. And we've made it so much about, well, we attend or we don't attend. Jesus didn't say go into all the world and go to church. He said, go and make disciples. A writer that I really appreciate, theologian Francis Schaeffer, said years ago that he fears that we are one generation away from Christianity fading away. Does that resonate with you? It does with me. I think now that I'm a father of two teenagers, in essence, almost, and trying to help disciple them, trying to help navigate the conversations they have in their world, in their school, in their classes, with some very real difficult things to navigate. This resonates with me more and more. And I fear that we're truly, honestly, right now living in a fading generation. We're living in a fading generation where if our kids don't carry on the faith, if our kids don't live as disciples, then this faith will fade away. One generation away from it not being important to us. If it's not important to us, it sure won't be important to our children, and it'll never have an impact at all on their children. Friends, we have to be disciples of Jesus. True disciples of Jesus. I gotta say, listen, I'm, I'm very thankful for what's happening in the Supreme Court. I just wanna make that statement. I'm very pleased and excited about what, what God may be doing in the Supreme Court, and I pray that Roe v. Wade is demolished, and that, that, that we would let babies live. It's a great stain on our country. It's horrible. 
it's horrific, and I pray that, that what's going on right now in this court case would move all the way through and we could, we could end abortion. But listen to this quote by Cal Thomas, who was a uh, radio DJ and personality. He said, the problem in our culture isn't the abortionists. It isn't the pornographers or drug dealers or criminals. It's the undisciplined, or undiscipled, disobedient, and biblically ignorant church of Jesus Christ. That's not just stepping on your toes. That's jumping up and down on them, right? He says the problem in our country is not the things we all want to point our fingers at. We need to turn those fingers around at us. Because we're the undisciplined, undiscipled, disobedient, and biblically ignorant church of Jesus. George Barna did a, uh, a, a, an interview. He's a researcher years and years ago. And he interviewed thousands of, of Christians and pastors and ministers. And he said, hey, what's your goal in life? Thousands of people. Did you know not one pastor, minister, or believer said to become a disciple of Jesus and to make disciples for him? Out of thousands of people. Instead, all these leaders of the church and all these believers said, my goal in life is to have family, career, or financial success. That's my goal in life. That is scary, friends. And if we chase those things, it will leave us empty. There's only one thing in life that satisfies. His name is Jesus. We need to know him and make him known. Clearly, there is a discipleship deficit in the American church. I don't know if you would agree with that. But it's hard to look at our country and look at our neighborhoods and look at our schools and not realize we have an issue here. We're not being the church that God has called us to be. We have wonderful ministries that have popped up from the 60s and 70s. Things like uh, Navigators in Colorado and, and Pioneers and, and uh, Crew, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ or Downline. These are wonderful ministries. They're discipleship ministries. But can I tell you something? The reason they exist outside the church is because discipleship doesn't exist inside the church. Think about it. If it did, we wouldn't need parachurch ministry saying, let me help you make disciples. No, we would just be the church. We would just be making disciples in the church. And we don't. We don't. The enemy has deceived us to try and make us think something is important that is not as important. And we focus often on the wrong things. The church has to revive an imperative of discipleship. We have to. It has to be disciple-making in the church. It's what God has called us to in the Great Commission. But instead, we've replaced it with religion and legalism about attendance to an event. That was my story. I came into this building, and I thought, as long as I showed up, as long as I attended, as long as I sort of looked the part, that'd be good enough. And it wasn't. I was lying, I was a fake, I was a con, until the Lord got a hold of my heart and changed my life and taught me what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus, a real disciple of Jesus, not somebody who just sort of went to church. Friends, the truth is that attendance is important. 
It's important. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> I want to make that clear. I'm so glad you're here. Your attendance is very important to us. It's very important that we can learn to worship together, serve together, grow together. It's so important. But can I tell you, life outside of this moment for the, next, for the hour that we have left or whatever, and I don't think we have a whole hour. Some of you are like, really? See? It's testing you. Life outside of this moment, outside of our services, is just as important in your life as a disciple, maybe more. But what I did is I said, no, I'm going to just call my life as a Christian what I do in that hour and a half. And then I'm good. I'll check it off a list. Hey, I've been to church. I went to church. I'm a pretty good person. I go to church. And my life outside of the church didn't matter. The things I allowed in my mind, the things I said with my mouth, the things I would contemplate in my heart didn't show the world that I was a disciple of Jesus. Friends, attending church alone is not enough. If you ate one meal today and you didn't eat again until next Sunday morning and you kept that up over and over again, what, what happened to your life, to your body? Would you live? Can you live on one meal a week? I don't know. But if you can, you're going to barely live. If you can, you're going to barely be able to move and barely be able to walk, and, and you're not going to have sustenance for life. And yet that's what many of us do every Sunday morning spiritually. We say, Lord, I'm going to give just a little bit, and I'm going to try and live between this week and next. And we, we go around like Christians, like we can barely live a Christian life because we just hard, we hadn't had any sustenance of the word. We haven't lived as believers. Attending alone is not enough. If you are here every single Sunday, thank you, wonderful. It's not enough. If you're faithful to the Lord and his church and services, thank you. It's not enough. Besides, with COVID and all the things that have happened in our culture, church is so considerably down. Numbers of all churches, way down. Numbers of views of camera, of services broadcasting on, online, on Facebook, YouTube, numbers are way down for all churches. Something is happening in our country and even in the church of Jesus. There's a book that uh, I've had for a while, and this week it has been unbelievably important, not only informing this message, but where we are as a church. It's called Transforming Discipleship by Greg Ogden. One of the quotes I want to give you this morning says this. It says, discipleship is not an optional afterthought for those who named Christ as their Lord. The church is central to God's plan of salvation. God saves people into a new community, which is the vanguard of a new humanity. To be called to Christ is to throw in one's lot with his people. Many people today like to say, Jesus, yes. Church, no. To do so is a fundamental misunderstanding of the place that the church has in God's grand scheme of salvation. To be a follower of Christ is to understand that there is no such thing as solo discipleship. We see Jesus in his ministry over and over drawing people from a large crowd to a really small one. He speaks to thousands of people. 
right? We know, we know uh, of the stories of him feeding the 4,000, the 5,000, and those were just the men. So maybe it's more like nine or 10,000 or 12,000. We know the story of Jesus riding from Bethany into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. And, and theologians say there were probably 50 to 100,000 people worshiping Jesus. And yet we see in Acts 1 how many people are involved in the church as disciples. Do you know? The Bible tells us 120. See, Jesus is constantly speaking to the larger crowd and trying to get people to come away from the larger crowd to a life in him. Can I tell you, that's what I'm doing today. I love you. I'm so glad you're here. But I want to say out to a large crowd, who's going to follow Jesus? It's not just an understanding that because you're here, you're going to follow him. No, that's a choice you have to make individually. And so as he, said, as he did, I call out and say, who will follow Jesus? He defined discipleship like this. Luke 9, 23, when he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? See, that's an individual choice. Every one of us right now in this moment have to say to our hearts, to our families, to our futures, am I going to follow Jesus? Not I think I prayed a prayer 20 years ago and it hadn't affected my life. Second Corinthians 5 says, when you're saved, when God has changed your heart, you become a new creation. Behold, the, the past is old, the old past is gone and the new has come. What is new in your life in Jesus? If there's something new in your life in Jesus, it's because you've, de you've decided, I am following him. I want to deny myself. I want to I lay down my life. My life is less important to me than following the life of Jesus. That's what that means. A Christian worldview means I'm going to follow him over what I want, what I've dreamed about, what, what's important to me. No, what's important to Jesus is all that matters as a follower of Christ. But here's the... Here's the uh, uh, the dichotomy in this. Here's the paradox is the word I'm looking for. When we surrender our lives to Jesus completely, it actually gives us full life. Real life, abundant life. What looks like surrender is actually gaining everything. But when we try and chase the things that are on our hearts, the things that, that we want, surely God has created me for this thing. And we run outside of God's heart and God's will in pursuing Jesus and denying ourselves. We actually lose our lives. Some of you have felt that reality when you've chased a million things other than Jesus. And you wonder why your heart is empty. You wonder why your life is not what you hoped it would be. Because you've chased other things than Jesus. Ogden says in his book, Jesus ministered to the crowd in order to call people out of it. One was not on the road to a discipleship unless he came out of the crowd to identify with Jesus. See, we have to leave the crowd. Some of you are still living in the crowd and saying, no, I'm a Christian. Are you? We got to leave the crowd to be identified with Jesus. Do you identify with Jesus? 
Is that your identity in life? Jesus was continually calling people to a deeper commitment. I want to give you a little picture here to consider. Imagine an office building, okay? Windows, and there's 100 people that work at this, at this company. Sort of. There's 100 people in the building. Let me put it that way. How about? There's 100 people in the building. This is not referring to any real company, by the way, all right? Some of you are going, I work there. There's an office building, 100 people in the building, but only 20 people do any of the work. Is that company going to survive? Is that business going to make it? I mean, I don't know how many of you are in business, but you're probably kind of going, probably not. Okay, well, let's, let's change the metric. What if 50 people do the work and 50 don't? Is the company going to make it? Some of you are going to kind of go, maybe, but it's going to limp along. It may not be as effective. It, it probably won't be able to fulfill its mission or vision. Friends, that is the church of Jesus. If you hadn't figured that out already. There's this rule called the 80-20 rule, and we talk about it in ministry all the time, where 20% of the people in the church do all the work of the church, and 80% just show up. 20% of the people in the church give, and 80% don't. Now, I, I want to brag on you a little bit. You're not a 20% church. I'm so grateful. You're more like a 50% church, which is huge. That's a, that's a big deal. I'm serious. I'm very proud of the fact that we're not a 20% church. We're more like a 50% church. But are we okay with being a 50% church? God wants us to be a 100% church. He wants us to serve and love and give and, and connect and be a part. So here's the question, where are we going as a church? Where, where are we headed? Well, here's the reality. When you're looking at a map program or you're wondering where you're going, even if you're looking at a map, you can know where you want to go, but you can never get there unless you know where you are. When you put in a MAC program, you program destination, you got to put the destination and where you currently are so that you can find your way there, right? So we've tried to speak truth. We've tried to, to be honest, take an honest look at the American church, even at our own hearts this morning and for the last several years. But i got to say, our elders and our leaders, our pastors, haven't been looking ahead for where we're going. We've been looking back at where we should have been all along. We should have been looking at the first century church instead of the church down the street. This is what the first century church looks like. Turn in your Bibles with me, Acts chapter 2. Man, you know how much I love this verse. I talk about it all the time. And I, as we read it, I want you to consider two things about this text, okay? I want you to consider a congregational aspect of this text and an individual aspect of the text. Okay? Here we go. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. That's, that's congregational, right? That's people together, being the church. And all came upon every soul. That's individual and corporate. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together. 
those are really corporate sort of things. But here's the reality about the church. There's a corporate nature, which is what we're doing right now. We are the church. It's very important that we're together as the church, that we worship together as the church, that as, as they did, we are devoted to the word of God and to teaching, to grow. It's important that we are devoted to communion and prayer as the church, that we worship together as the church and we're in awe of his mercy and miracles. It's so important that we do that congregationally, that we value commitment to one another so much that if somebody has a need, we want to meet that need in unbelievable generosity. That's the church. That's the congregational church. And we want to attend a large gathering together. That's what they did. But there's also an individual aspect. Look here. Acts 2.46 says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Now let me just tell you something. The whole congregational church wouldn't fit in their homes. It won't fit in their homes. I mean, after Pentecost, which this is after Pentecost, we know of at least 3,000 at the beginning, right? And then 5,000 joined the church right after that. Now this church is 8,000 people. We went from 120 to 8120 overnight almost. They won't fit in your home. So what is this saying? This is saying there's an element of the church that is congregational and there's an element that's individual and small. And that it's, they're both important. So, so when they're small, what, what did they do? Well, they were together every single day. <laughs> there was a reminder of who they were in Christ every day. Encouraging one another's faith daily. They were in relationship enough to have meals in each other's homes. It says they, they received their food. I can't receive your food. I have to receive my food. Right? It's an individual reality here. They ate together in smaller groups. They were grateful. They were generous. They praised God. They had favor with, with people. And they were on mission individually. They were on mission in smaller groups. We know that the Bible says the Lord added to their number day by day. The, the way he did that was them walking into their homes and into their neighborhoods and, and leaving outside of Jerusalem and telling the story of Jesus. And this is the beautiful story of Acts, how the gospel is expanding and, and the gospel is being uh, established in the lives of people. So there's congregational rhythms and there's individual rhythms of the church. At South City, this is our current rhythm. We meet at 1030 on Sunday. It's congregational. We also have small groups, which is, uh, we call them city groups. They meet every week. We have a legacy group that meets that would be considered like a, a city group as well. But I've, if I'm honest with you, for the last two and a half years, I've been struggling with something. I've been wondering in my heart and in my soul, are we doing enough to make disciples? I, I love our church. I, I, I lo this is my favorite time of the week. I can look around this room right now and my heart is completely full of love for you. I love you so much. You are my family. I love you. I love city group because it's, a, it's a more of a family-oriented version of this, that we get to care for one another and be connected and we get to share some things. But I began to be concerned that this and city group weren't quite enough. Are we making disciples? Are there truly opportunities for us to be who God wants us to be as disciples with an emphasis on making disciples? So the question was, are our rhythms truly making disciples. Well, we say we are. It's important to us. It's on our back door back there. 
and we have good things happening. We have people being baptized. And I love that six people were baptized today, right? Amazing. But what if it was 60? For too long we've said, oh, Lord, six is wonderful. That's good. We'll wait another three or four months. Maybe we'll have one or two. No, what if we had 60 this week and we had 70 next week? What if we, our vision was bigger and we believed that God actually wanted to reach people through us as missionaries? I think what we've tried to do in the church is we've tried to make discipleship large gathering situations, right? This is a large gathering, and, and this is an element of discipleship. But there ought to be other elements of discipleship. Leroy Eames says this, disciples cannot be mass-produced. We can't drop people into a program and see disciples emerge at the other end of the production line. It takes time to make disciples. It takes personal, individual attention. Listen to this. Disciple-making is not a program. It's a relationship. That's a game changer, friends, for me. Because for two years, for our church, I kept going, pleading with the Lord, Lord, what is the right program? Lord, lead me to the right book study. Please help us know what, we, what program, what, what curriculum we need as a church to become the disciples you want us to be. And I was never satisfied. Because discipleship is not a program, it's a relationship. Greg Ogden says in his book, what is a disciple of Jesus but one who is self-initiating, reproducing, and fully devoted to him? What seems unattainable is that there would be churches filled with disciples who do not have to be pushed. They don't have to be motivated. They don't have to be conjoled. I don't know how many Sundays, and maybe even today in ways, I go away from preaching and sharing with you, and in part my heart is burdened because I feel like I'm scolding. No, that's not who I am. I'm, I'm a very loving, grace-giving person. But it's really just a passion for you to know Jesus. It's just a desire for you to know this abundant life that he offers you. I want you to have all of it. I want your marriage to be amazing. I want your kids and your family to love him. I want you to have all of the benefits of knowing this great God that we serve. And I, I want to apologize. If I come across as scolding, that's not my heart. You're, you're feeling my passion. But we need to be disciples that are self-initiating, reproducing, fully devoted to him. Barna says this, in a society as fast-moving and complex as ours, people have to make choices every minute of the day. That's you. You have to make choices every minute of the day. Unless people have a regular focused exposure to the foundations of their faith, the chances of Christians consistently making choices to reflect biblical principles are minimal. He's saying if we don't talk about Jesus throughout our week, we won't live for Jesus throughout our week. If we're not reminded of who he is and who we are in him throughout the week, we probably won't live as believers. We start to veer away from the course. We start to say, well, that's okay for me to watch. That's okay for me to say. That's okay for me to allow into my life. And we forget who he is and who we are in him. So we need more reminders, consistent reminders. The early church met every single day. I don't expect you to do that. Right? We live in a culture that is not, I mean, the, the early church lived in an area about as big as our church. 
are as big as our church and the parking lot. And it's not, not, not that hard to go from here to the, to the end of the parking lot, to Temple. Some of you live in Conway, Hot Springs, Malvern. Some of you live a long ways away. We're so honored that you're a part of our church. I don't expect you to necessarily be able to be with each other every day. But I do think this. I think we can do more. I think we can do more. I think we can be more committed. I think we can do something else in our rhythm of faith. What if I told you if you spent 60 to 90 minutes with one to two people once a week, it would radically change your life and their life? What if I told you that? Would you do it? If I told you 60 to 90 minutes, not a long time, 60 to 90 minutes with one to two people would radically change your life and their life, would you do it? I want to talk to you just for a couple minutes. I know we're running behind. Hang with me. With something I believe God has called us to in our church, something called triads. It's just discipleship groups of two to four, okay? We see throughout Scripture the power of three, the Trinity. Uh, I, I love this text in Ecclesiastes. It says, uh, verse, in chapter 4, verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We, we see this verse and we go, yeah, I think I know what it means. It just means three is good. Listen to all the, the things that are, are great for what he's saying. There's better results when you work together. If I didn't have people I worked with that held me accountable, that I needed to deliver things to, that I, that I needed to be more focused on, I wouldn't get a whole lot done, I'll be honest with you. So there's more accountability, there's more encouragement, there's more focus on the job. There's help when you're, when you're in trouble. You have a time of need, there's help for you. Right? Somebody will lift you out of the ditch. This is what's so cool about when you're in discipleship with two or three people kind of like a marriage, a godly marriage, most of the time you're not both depressed at the same time. <laughs> most of the time one of you may be going through a trial and the other one can go, hey, I love you, I'm encouraging you, I'm going to help you out of that ditch. That's what close discipleship allows as well. It, it pulls you out, it lifts you up. It says woe to the person who is alone. Being alone is not good. If you're alone, if you're walking alone, change it. <laughs> I guarantee you there are tons of people in this room that are willing to walk with you if you would ask and approach them. There, there's an aspect of this scripture. It talks about being warm alone. As, as a heterosexual man's man, that has always wigged me out a little bit. Um, excuse me? Ecclesiastes? Two cannot, you know, it's, I know you know, it's always saying, well, is this just figurative? I have a friend who, uh, he was a, as about a, as man man as I've ever met. His, his name was Peter. He was a grizzly bear hunting guide in Alaska. He told me one time that he had a client come in. This guy pays like $10,000 to kill a grizzly bear. And so he took him on a grizzly bear hunt in the Aleutian Islands in Alaska, and they killed the bear. But then a storm came in on them, and they couldn't get back to camp. So they took the skin of the bear, and they wrapped it around them, and they snuggled all night. He said, and again, as man's man as he could possibly be, he said, we shivered all night because of hypothermia. He said, at one point, my client stopped shivering. He said, Drew, I thought he was dead. 
I thought this man had died. And he, on my watch, he said, so I hit him as hard as I could in his back, and he woke up and he said, why did you wake me up? I've been shivering all night and I finally fell asleep. <laughs> Here's the point. When you have one or two people that you're walking deeply with in discipleship, sometimes it's not about comfort. Sometimes it's about survival. Sometimes it's about survival. And, of course, there's also an element of protection. And can I just tell you, the enemy is roaring about like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. You need some protection in your life, spiritually. You need brothers. This is what triads are. They're gender-specific, so a group of men meet together or a group of women meet together. Ogden says this, he says, it's my contention that a necessary and pivotal element in providing the motivation and discipline to growing, self-initiating, reproducing, fully devoted followers of Jesus comes only through personal investment. The motivation and discipline will not ultimately occur through listening to sermons, sitting in a class, participating in a fellowship group, attending a study group in the workplace, or being a member of a small group but rather in the context of highly accountable, relationally transparent, truth-centered, small, which means three or four, discipleship units. He says, in my experience, this is the optimum context for transformation. That's why we want to see triads in our church. They offer intimate relationships. So you can, when you confess, the Bible says in James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. When we do that, you're probably not doing that as readily in your city group, right? You got 15 people there, it's mixed company, and you may not want to confess some things. So with two other brothers, you can go, brothers, I'm struggling with something I need to tell you. Ladies, you can say, ladies, sisters, I'm struggling. Can I tell you this? Will you help me? Will you pray for me? A smaller gathering gives intimate relationship. It gives more accountability. It gives a specific biblical message. It helps you with spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible study. You might encourage one another to fast or, or do something of another discipline. But here's one of my favorite things about uh, triads is it, it gives an element of multiplication. Here we're in this series called Multiply. How are we going to multiply? What, what does it mean to multiply? It means to reproduce who we are. Some of you are going, isn't that what city groups do? All those things you just mentioned? So we're going to do city groups, yeah, but here's the thing. City groups are wonderful, but some of these things you can't get as deeply as you can in a triad. We, are, we need support. We need love. We need connectedness in the city group. We need accountability to mission. But we also need individual relationships that transform us into the image of Jesus. That's what a triad hopefully will do. Triad meets once a week. For 60 to 90 minutes, they study one chapter of the Bible. They soap that chapter, which means it's an acronym for scripture, observation, application, prayer, and share. Soaps. It just gives a formula to help you think about the Bible, but it's very simple and organic. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Here's one of my favorite things about triads. Not only does it offer that uh, connectedness 
intimate relationship, accountability, biblical connectedness and growth as a disciple, there's a proactive element of mission. And this is what happens. Say you're meeting with, there's three people in your triad. But every week, you've been praying. We want to pray for people who don't know Jesus. Who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? Let's pray for him. Let's pray for her. And, and then at some point, you're able to invite people into that triad, a fourth person. Well, when that fourth person stays with you for four to six weeks, then that group divides into two groups. And it creates a multiplication engine to help you grow and multiply. This is where we've been going in this series. I want to show you a quick little uh, slide, if we have that slide of, of multiplication. Just give you an idea of what this looks like. If you're a really good evangelist and you love to share with Jesus, Jesus with people, and you won somebody to Christ every day of the year, 365 people in a year, that's pretty impressive. That's amazing. But look at it compared to, that's, that's addition. Look at the difference between that and, and being a discipler of people. If you only discipled two people in a year, what does that look like? Well, it doesn't look as impressive on the front end. You discipled two people, they won 365. But over the years, look at the multiplicative effect of being a discipler instead of just an evangelist. Addition is not as great as multiplication. In 16 years, if you won somebody to the Lord every year, you would have won 5,840 people. But if you trained people to be fishers of men, if you discipled people, even at two a year, and they discipled two, and those people discipled too. In 16 years, you will have not only won them to Christ, but discipled them to be makers of disciples. And you would have 65,536 disciples. Sometimes I look at the world and I go, how are we going to do this, God? How are we going to reach this culture for Jesus? That's how. That's how. And he will be with us to the end of the age, Right? I'm going to wrap up here. I want to tell you this. This is something that, that I've been praying about, your elders have been praying about, our staff and pastors have been praying about for about two years. This is kind of a big deal. I want to, I want to, I want to signal the turn, the way Pastor Darrell says all the time, signal the turn. This is a big deal to us as leaders of the church. Can I tell you what my vision and my heart is for you? It's not that we would have perfect attendance every Sunday. That's not my vision. That's not my heart. What would be amazing, friends, is if every one of you would start or join a triad as soon as possible. They're very simple, and it will change your life and the people that you're with. It will challenge you to be a, a missionary where God has placed you. There's so much simplicity, and something I heard this summer really helped uh, inform this. The, the speaker said, the Holy Spirit will be a better disciple maker than you will ever be. We don't need a curriculum necessarily. We don't need some book study alone. We need the word of God. And we need the commitment of his people as disciples to make disciples. This is important to your elders. This is important to your pastors and staff. This is where we're going as a church. We want to make much of Jesus. We want to make much of discipleship and less of just attendance-based, event-based church. We want to be disciples who make disciples. So we've given you a handout today. 
Some of you are kind of wondering, I don't know what this is. I don't know if I can do it. I just want you to seriously pray about it. I want you to seriously consider who you would invite into it. Uh, I will tell you right now, we, we started talking to our city group leaders about triads several months ago, and we already have over 10 triads meeting. Praise God. We already have over 10 that are currently meeting every week. Would you join us? This is not something the church is going to manage. Somebody lost a person, oh, it's the church's job to find another. No, that's your job. We want to equip you for the work of the ministry, and then you do the work of the ministry. That's what we're talking about, okay? We believe God is leading us to this, and we pray that you would join us in it. Not asking you to attend a class, not asking you to read a book. I'm not asking you for less, I'm asking you for more commitment. Because that's what God is calling us to. Focused on the right things. Focused on what he wants us to be, who he wants us to be, and who he wants us to reach. I pray that every one of you would hear this. And hear my heart, more importantly than hearing me any day of the week, is that you would hear from the Holy Spirit of God. And that he would move us to become the disciples he's calling us to be. Can I just tell you, I don't care if we have a big church. This is not a church growth strategy. It may have the opposite effect. But God has called us to be disciples and to make disciples. And if we don't do that, we failed as believers in Jesus. It is of utmost importance. Would you join me? Would you join our leaders? Let's be who God's called us to be as his disciples. Father, we love you. Lord, we rest in you. God, we're so grateful for your grace. We're so grateful for your mercy. Lord, I just want to acknowledge that for many years and in, in, in many different churches, uh, ultimately we've, we've, we've focused on some things that are not as important. We focus on the color of the carpet or how long the preacher preaches or if the music was too loud. God, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for focusing on the things that don't matter as much? Would you help us, Lord, to be disciples who know Jesus, who know his word, self-initiating. We're moving this gospel forward into the world because that's what you've called us to do. God, I pray that by your spirit you would do something here that is greater than a message, greater than any kind of program. Lord, I plead with you that you would give us a discipleship movement. That we would be about making disciples. This is not about having a big church. This is about being obedient to you. This is about seeing lost people come to know you so they don't die and go to hell. This is about helping families be all that they can be and, and know you and love you and thrive. That will only happen as we find ourselves in our lives in you. Don't let us be a generation that fades away in faith. Let us be men, godly men, who would stand for what's right, who would fight for their wives, who would fight for their marriages, who would fight for their children, who would disciple them, Lord, to you. Lord, remove passivity from our hearts as men. God, that we would be women who would stand for you, 
They would love you, Lord. They would, they would love their husbands. They would raise their children. They would be women who, who are disciples, making disciples. God, make us your people. Remove the status quo and the checklist of I've been to church and replace it with I am growing to know Jesus and I'm helping other people to know him. Make us disciples who make disciples authentically, Lord. That is our prayer. And I pray that your spirit would do it and you would move in us, Lord. In Jesus' precious and wonderful name, amen.